0: may it please the listeners my name is rich schoenstein and this is law brief and i am joined by my partner divorce and family lawyer morgan richardson hello morgan how are you today
1: i'm doing quite well thank you how are you
0: (laughs) i'm great thanks for being here We have not covered on this podcast yet the area of divorce and family law, so I'm interested to get into it and maybe to talk about whatever is new and exciting in your field of practice. Where do you want to begin?
1: Okay. Well, that's a tall order, but I'm ready to start. I was thinking the sort of top three trends that I've been seeing in the world of divorce and family law might be an interesting topic for you. And maybe we can just start with the first thing that I'm seeing right now, which is about custody. A lot of cases are contested custody, but more and more in Manhattan, especially, I'm seeing cases where the parties are agreeing to joint legal and physical custody of the kids and then no base child support.
0: Let me break that down a little bit. So joint legal and physical custody. So these are parents who live apart and the kids go back and forth between them.
1: Right. So custody is two things. Custody is the decision-making, which is legal custody, and it's the physical custody. Where are the kids? If you say you have joint legal custody, it means you're making decisions together. If you say you have joint physical custody, it means you have an equal access schedule. So if you have both, then you have equal shared joint everything. You're having equal time with the kids. You're making decisions together that sort of thing.
0: It does seem in the world we live in that there's more and more divorced parents cooperatively making decisions together about the kids, that that's more common than it used to be. Is that right? Or am I imagining that?
1: Uh, No, I, I think that that is actually sort of a trend that's happening. And especially where There is an equal access schedule. There has been this movement towards dads becoming more active and then, you know, joint legal decision makers and being recognized as more and more of an equal parent. And now that's sort of resulting in more of a trend towards these equal schedules. So the kids will see both parents equal amount of time which is great. The more cooperative parents can be, the better off the kids are going to be.
0: So when you talk about joint legal and physical custody, is that something that the parties are agreeing to on their own or is it being ordered by the courts or both?
1: So both, to be honest. Most judges that I'm in front of really want to see parents, if there's no other issues like alcoholism or abuse or any sort of major red flag that is preventing these parents from being equal parents, they want to see that. They want to see an equal schedule and they are willing
0: to order that. I guess the presumption of the court is that the best thing is to have both parents involved with the kids.
1: Absolutely. That's definitely something we see a lot, especially in the city courts. I think it's a trend that maybe is starting here and starting to spread across the country. But I am hearing from more and more attorneys in other areas where that is sort of the presumption that you are equal parents in a divorce type setting.
0: Right now, you mentioned expenses. You know, money is always such a big issue in divorce. So how does this trend intersect with that issue, with the cost element?
1: Right. So what's really interesting is in New York, the case law shows us that if you have an equal schedule, the person who earns more money is still going to pay child support. That's what the law says. So you can have exactly 50-50 time with the kids and still end up paying support, which doesn't really make a lot of sense. And so a lot of times in cases where we're having these schedules where it's 50-50, both parties are starting to recognize, yeah, that doesn't make sense. You have them just as much as I have them why should we do that why don't we opt for a scheme where we're looking at the true expenses for the child like they're in soccer they're they need a tutor they're in private school let's focus on how we can share those as opposed to just this basic support that the legislature says that
0: we need to do right because we're not in a world anymore where one parent is the caregiver and one parent is the wage earner. We're in a much more complicated world.
1: Well, and even in situations where there is that you know, sort of traditional structure where you have a stay-at-home parent, a lot of times, especially in New York City cases, we're dealing with a number of assets, and the assets are such that there's enough support being given to the spouse who hasn't been working, that they don't necessarily need to have support. They're going to be okay with the assets that they're receiving in the split.
0: Okay. So that's shared legal and physical custody. You Mm -hmm. promised us three trends. So what's number two?
1: So looking at the world of prenups, we're coming out of prenup season and we're full on into wedding season now. So hopefully most people have their prenups already signed and ready to go. But there is a trend is, is right really, now. Is
0: that really a thing? Is that is there really a prenup season and a it, wedding season course, in your practice? Of course.
1: Well, that's
0: that's fantastic.
1: <laughs> there is there, there absolutely is. Yeah, well, you know, there's a wedding season, the summer wedding season. So right before that is the spring prenup season. But anyway, so we've been seeing a lot of people who wanna put their pets into their prenup agreement, which is very smart. New York has now passed a law that says that your pet is not just property. It's going to be in a divorce situation. It's going to be treated as a little bit more than property, recognizing that a pet is not the same thing as like your sofa or television, right? But in years past, that's how pets were treated in the court. They were treated like just another piece of furniture in the house. So in order to sort of have an end run around that, If you have a pet before you got married, you can put that in your prenup and you can devise if you want to have a schedule with the pet, or is it just going to be with one person or the other? What is happening with the pet? It's not like putting custody in a prenup. You can't put custody in a prenup because that is so changeable and malleable. But because a pet is sort of this special category, you can put it in your prenup to avoid that sort of fight.
0: So I have a ridiculous question. Does this apply to all pets? I mean, I know dogs and cats, but are we getting into fish and birds and snakes?
1: Uh Absolutely. (laughs) It it applies to all pets. I mean, look, there are some parrots, I guess, that have like 500 word vocabularies. So why not?
0: (laughs) Yeah. Well, that's that's interesting. All right. So prenups applying to the family pet. That's great. Mm -hmm. What's number three? Trend number three.
1: So I think here, I wanted to talk about this sort of trend that we're seeing right now with people going towards alternative dispute resolution, like mediation or arbitration. And I think a lot of times people shy away from that. They get into these litigated cases and it feels very all or nothing when you're litigating sometimes. And you don't realize I mean, maybe it's just because I do realize it, but a lot of people don't realize that there is no winner in a divorce. There is a divorce at the end of the day, right? Whether you're litigating or not, maybe there's a scale of things. Maybe you get a little bit more or a little bit less, but you're still getting your divorce at the end of your case. So for that reason, coupled with these just extreme slowdowns that we're having in New York City uh, with the courts... People are starting to flock more towards mediation, and even the courts themselves have established mediation panels where if you're in the middle of litigation and you think even for one second that you might want to mediate, the court's going to sort of try to track you over to the mediation panel, see if that might work for you, try to clear off some docket space.
0: Well, this is really interesting. As you know, I'm not a divorce practitioner at all. I'm a what we call a commercial litigator or a business litigator. But the same kind of thing is happening in business cases. The courts are extremely slow. They're Mm -hmm. overwhelmed with cases, and they have pushed more and more in the 30 years I've been practicing to have clients try to settle their disputes through mediation, often ordered by or referred to by the courts. And I do a lot of business divorce Mm -hmm. where joint business owners are breaking up a business. And it's exactly what you said. At the end of the day, they're not going to be in business together. Might it be smarter for them to try to work that out rather than to spend two years banging each other in litigation and spending a lot of money on lawyers? And I gather it's the, the same kind of thinking in the divorce context.
1: Oh yeah, definitely. I mean, I think when you look big picture at it, you have a divorce. If you are fighting with, over custody, and then you're fighting over the assets, a case like that can take anywhere from three to seven years. I think the longest running case I was involved with was eight years long. So tacking over to mediation, especially when the court is so backlogged right now, it just it expedites your case. It's a faster solution, which cuts down on your legal fees and expenses.
0: Are you using court-appointed mediators through the courts or privately hired mediators or both?
1: Definitely both. The courts here have founded these mediation panels, and I'm actually on a couple of them. I'm on the panel for Brooklyn and the panel for Manhattan and also the panel for Nassau County, which is in Long Island. And those panels really were just getting started right as COVID hit. So they hadn't had a full chance to be fully developed, but the Brooklyn panel actually had been going on for a little bit longer, so it's a little bit more established, and they just welcomed a lot of mediators. They expanded their list. They have a huge roster now so that they can really try to sort cases and send them out.
0: Right. I'm on the commercial division mediation roster in the New York State Supreme Court, and I act as a mediator for business cases from time to time. I would think in the divorce context, there would be some apprehension sometimes by the parties who, who don't want to get in a room with the other party and try to negotiate. How do you handle something like that?
1: So that is where the magic of Zoom has come in. <laughs> I know we all have our various experience with Zoom, but now you can do a mediation through Zoom and the parties don't have to be in the same physical space and you can also do separate sessions. I have a case where we've been doing separate sessions because even on Zoom, it's been too difficult for the communication to flow well. So it just makes better sense for me to meet with them individually.
0: And when you say a separate session, you mean you and your client and the mediator will have one meeting, and then your opponent and their lawyer and the mediator will have a completely different meeting. Yes. And the mediator will go back and forth, we call it shuttle diplomacy, mm-hmm. and try to work out a deal, right?
1: Yeah, they call well, we call it caucusing. We'll caucus with one side yeah. and then caucus with the other. But yes, that's essentially the, the long and the short of it. One other trick I've heard people doing if they're in a session and they just really absolutely don't want to see their spouse's face, they just put a little yellow sticky note over the computer screen uh, where their spouse's face is, and then they don't have to see them. They just have to hear them. <laughs>
0: That's a pretty good that's a pretty good trick. I may try that with some uh, opposing counsel I know. <laughs> All right. Well, those are really interesting, Morgan. Tell us a little bit about your practice, what it is you do for your clients.
1: Absolutely. So as you know, I'm a divorce and family law attorney, which means we handle cases that involve custody, that involve child support, spousal support, breakdown of the assets, all of those things that are ancillary to divorce. And my partner, Frank Perone, also handles some criminal matters, especially when a divorce can turn really nasty. There are sometimes some criminal things that might happen. But All in all, we represent clients in every single one of the boroughs of the city and Westchester and Nassau County and sometimes Suffolk in handling their divorces, handling their family law issues.
0: All right. Well, that's great. Morgan joined our firm this year, and we're super excited to have her and Frank, both because to add that capacity to the practice of Tartar Krinsky and Drogan, and also because they turn out to be excellent people Mm -hmm. and uh, a lot of fun. So, good to have you on. We usually wrap up these episodes such as they are with a closing argument. I didn't invent that myself. I just stole it from somebody. But do you want to offer some kind of viewpoint for the listener on where we're going in the direction of divorce law?
1: I just have two small closing arguments. The first one is custody. And I find myself saying this frequently to clients. Custody is only a word. At the end of the day, This is really about your relationship with your child because once they turn 18, there is no such thing as custody anymore. So if you've put your child in the middle of your case, you might be ruining that relationship. Whether you want to be able to call yourself the custodial parent or not will not make a difference. And the second point is as it pertains to assets. And really, this is for the moneyed spouses out there. I hear a lot from moneyed spouses that they fear that, they're giving away too much or they're not going to be able to make this money back and it's not fair or you know, what happens in the future seems scary. But I think if they can look within themselves and see how much they have created over the course of the marriage and recognize that this is not the end of their life, They are going to be moving forward. They're going to make so much more money. And really the spouse that hasn't been working or has been making a lot less is still going to be stuck in the same situation, making the same amount. It really will help them get to a better place in terms of settlement if you view it that way.
0: All right, well, those are very smart and practical points from a very smart and practical lawyer. Morgan Richardson, thank you for joining us today. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to Law Brief. Now here's something lawyerly, a disclaimer. We are not your lawyers. We do not have an attorney-client relationship, and this podcast does not constitute legal advice. If you need legal advice, you should engage a lawyer of your own choosing. Tartar Krinsky & Drogen is a mid-size, full-service law firm located in New York with offices in New Jersey and Los Angeles. You can see more about us at tartarkrinsky.com. You can contact us at the email address podcast at tartakrimsky.com. You can also find us on Twitter and Instagram at at Podcast, And you can find me on Twitter and Instagram under the handle at lawfulriches. I know it's a little bit silly, but at least you don't have to spell Schoenstein. You can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes or Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts. Please rate and review us. I'm Rich Schoenstein, and we are adjourned.